We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 100, Mad Drafting. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. I, I didn't get you anything. I'm really disappointed. I was kind of expecting something special. Can you forgive me? I got you a brand new magic set you can play on Arena. That was you? Yeah, if you don't ask any questions and look any further into that, that was me. I did the Dude, whole thing. that was the best gift ever. It's awesome. I know. Hope you don't mind sharing it with the rest of the world. No, not at all. It's a lot of fun. We should all play together. Uh, I have to open with uh, with a thank you to Wizards of the Coast for the invite to the streamer event yesterday. I had a ton of fun. I don't know about you. Oh, I had a blast. That was uh, amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Played sealed all day and enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, I think I did three sealed events last night uh, to close down the the event, and it was it was a lot of fun seeing all the new cards. Uh, it was a good excuse to kind of experiment with sealed a little bit. I think um, I played some cards that I don't think I would normally play, and I just wanted to see how they worked. Uh, kind of a, a no risk fun environment, um, almost like a pre release. Yeah, it was almost like a pre release. With 398 of my favorite streamers, and then you, and then me. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it was pretty good. Um, I'm not one of your favorite streamers, because we're friends. That's true. I don't have to tell you you're my favorite, because you know already. Yeah. Uh, and then you streamed today. How was? How did that go? How did the actual launch go uh, of your, uh, your Ravnica Allegiance experience? I mean, it was more of the same. Building sealed pools, playing the games. Like, they're... There are some mythics already that are a bit of a groan. Um, and, uh, turn, and I turn three four four flyer. Yeah, that's one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. That was kind of impossible to beat. And the little slime ball guy, like it's kind of like, hey, can you kill this right now? No, all right, you're dead. Uh, we're gonna call him Slime Rat. So like, there's there's some of those, and it's a little bit of like, ah, uh, we could have had a game if they hadn't played that. Uh, but generally speaking, so far I've enjoyed the set. I, it it seems to have a lot of mana sinks which is something that I typically get really excited about in Limited. Uh, and I'm looking forward to playing more with this and looking forward to being able to draft it uh, tomorrow. You know what I like? I like that there's one aura, and the Hexproof creature isn't good enough to play it and the aura on. And the aura is not good enough that you care about that. I like not having to run into like flying turtles with lifelink and vigilance and first strike and whatever else it got. Um, I'm a big fan of that so far. Yeah. Like, it's it's surprising to me that, you know, we, we grew up, or at least I grew up in Limited, you know, knowing that you're going to get two for one whenever you play an aura. And then somewhere along the way, it flipped for a few sets. <laughs> and and now we're just, we now just don't have auras. And, and I'm kind of okay with that. So, but uh, no, it was, it was fun. Um, I don't, I didn't keep track of my record last night, but I think I was positive in all three of the ones that I did. And I got a good variety. I did a Rakdos deck, an Orzov deck. And an Azorius deck, and I splashed in all three of them. So I think uh, once you get a little more, 
you know, into, maybe into draft here, we can see if it's a splashing set or not. Um, I, I didn't feel like I had to splash last night, but I felt like I wanted to splash last night, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten to play, like, a real Ragtoast deck yet, and I'm just wondering if, like, it requires too much synergy to be able to pull it off in Sealed, or if maybe I just haven't opened up the right pieces. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure yet, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying that one. I feel like I've got a handle on the other guilds and what they're wanting to do, though. And and they're good. Mm-hmm. I, I think Rakdos was definitely the most disappointing to me um, in, in, in Sealed when I played it. Um, again, like I, I think there's different flavors of the Rakdos deck. Like I, I think there's an aggressive deck um, or a deck where you're willing to, to trade life totals aggressively. Um, but then there's a controlling version of it. Um, and and I'm not sure what I had. I maybe had something that was in between the two. Um, I did have a lot of removal, but the deck just didn't get there. Um, but Azurius and, and Simic, when I played those, they kind of did their thing, and you didn't need a lot of synergy, right? Like Azurius, you're just playing mm-hmm. creatures, and Simic, you're just playing creatures, and then holding up mana <laughs> to to pump them at instant speed. So it was kind of it was kind of good to see all those all those mechanics and and how they played. Um, and you I mean Orzov was was incredible. I mean, the removal in this set feels really good for the most part. It feels nice and balanced. Uh, it doesn't feel like you have to be in a specific color to have good removal. Um, except blue obviously doesn't really have it, but that's blue's thing. So we're used to that. Other than that, um, we did get the latest patch with Ravnica Allegiance being released today. And we didn't really get a chance to talk about this because it, uh, the update, the state of the beta came at, at a weird time. And, um, we were just doing our, our set review that week. So we didn't really, really didn't have a chance to talk about it, but there's some massive changes here. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the, the state of the beta, but the big one here is duplicate protection. And this is something we've been talking about for a while. I don't remember what episode it was. Somebody brought it up today in chat. Um, that we had had some ideas. We came up with some ideas and specifically said, hey, wizards, if you're going to steal these, just take them. Now, they didn't necessarily do that, um, but the duplicate protection change kind of falls in line with my dream scenario for that, which was, you know, pieces of the card. If you get if you open duplicates, you get basically a roll of the dice to see if you can get some kind of prize or some kind of refund or reward on those duplicate cards. Um, and it would scale up with the number that you of duplicates you opened in your pack. What they've done instead is is they've done two things here with their duplicate protection. Uh, one is they have uh, guaranteed that when you're opening boosters, regular boosters, that you will not open a fifth copy of a mythic or a rare. So you can do some basic napkin math on that, and you're looking at somewhere between 250 to 300 packs to open an entire set worth of rares and mythics, which is pretty good it's pretty comparable uh, actually it's significantly cheaper than uh, than magic online and paper uh and two if you happen to open a duplicate whether that be in draft or because you just happen to have all of the cards or it comes from an icr you just get gems for your mythic or your rare and the gem count is 20 for a rare and 40 for a mythic i believe mm-hmm. so you kind you kind of put all that together and from a limited player's perspective i'm going to speak for you here um what this means for you is that you have incentive to open your packs, obviously, because you want to get as many duplicates as you can when you're drafting for the second reason, which is to subsidize the cost of your draft. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you haven't really opened a lot of packs yet so far. Have you actually opened any any four, four ofs yet in your in your one day worth of streaming? 
Well, I started the stream off with opening like 40 or so Ixalan packs that I had left over from drafting those, and I didn't hit any duplicates yet, but I did notice a string of getting like a lot of bad rares all at once um, that I would never have drafted. So it's kind of like, okay, I can see where this is going and like a couple more copies of Induced Amnesia and we're going to have something here. But I just, I didn't have that many packs yet. So mm -hmm. it, it hasn't triggered yet. I did notice it happening some during the preview event yesterday because I know they stocked us with, with copies of everything. So you probably saw that too when you fired up your sealed. So I know it's going to happen. It, it doesn't entirely solve the problem of Limited not really being self-sustaining if, if you view that as a problem. Uh, but it certainly helps. Like... It does mean we're going to need to basically collect the entire set to begin to see that. But honestly, I've enjoyed Constructed in Arena so much that I don't really have a problem with that. Like, I'm happy to play some Constructed too. Right. So I think where it'll pay off is because you're going to be drafting the good cards over and over and over again. Um, those will start to refund you, kind of like a little bit like money drafting in, in Magic Online, I guess. Um, but you're right, it's not going to be a huge difference to you, and it's not going to make it self-sustainable. But, it, you know, if halfway through the the set, like two months into the set, you're getting a 5% discount on your drafts or a 10% discount on your drafts sometimes, um, I think, you know, that, that brings up the floor quite a bit on, on your cost for drafting, and I think that'll help. I'd be curious to see what somebody like you ends up doing. I wish you would track it, but I know that you won't. No, I won't. Um. The thing that was interesting to me with this um, is that it, well, I mean, not really surprising, but it is an elegant solution and that it solves the problem for drafters and for constructed players, for the free-to-play players, and also for the people that are spending money. But what I found interesting are the, like, dozens of people that I saw on Twitter and on the on Reddit and on the forum and on Facebook that were just saying, okay, great, now I can go spend money. I'm going to dump a bunch of money into Magic Arena. This was like... <laughs> the final the final piece to their puzzle um and, and i thought that was really interesting because like it's not that much different than what we had before for a lot of players and i think a lot of these players you know especially ones that i was interacting with on our on our facebook group that i have uh locally here um they were free to play players and now that there's a fifth copy solution all of a sudden they're going to be whales they're going to dump a bunch of money in and i'm like <laughs> Like you, you went from this not impacting you at all to now it impacts you because you're you're forcing yourself into this scenario where it's going to impact you. So it was it was an interesting little, uh, you know, I don't want to say that like it's hypocritical, but it, it certainly um, it, it certainly shows that maybe people had a different perception of how big this problem was for ninety percent of the players out there. Yeah, again, I never had a super big deal with it because I looked at it as like nobody cares about the the fifth copy of the junk bulk rare that you open in paper. But I, I can understand it being frustrating to people. And there are people who are into the collection aspect and they want the full set so they can build whatever deck they want to. So I'm, I'm glad that for the people that this was a problem, that it is now sorted. Mm -hmm. So as I'd be curious, I'm, I'm interested to see. Um, I do plan on putting more money in myself, um, but that's because I enjoy Arena, not because of the solution of the the fifth copy problem. Um, but I, I'd be curious to see if I get even close to that and, uh, and how many gems I get back. Like if, if you, you know, if, if one out of every 15 drafts or sorry, out of every 15 drafts, if you get a, a, you know, enough for another draft, maybe that's a good rate. Maybe that's not, I don't really know, but, um, I mean, it's stuff we didn't have before. So, and the only thing they took away from us, uh, and I use, you know, took away from us in air quotes here because, 
you know, it, it's their game and they can adjust the rewards how they like is all they did was adjust the individual card rewards for constructed events, which were overly generous to begin with. I don't know if you played in these very much. I did some. But like on the weekends when I was just not playing serious magic, I would just plop my 500 gold down on this thing, go 3-3, get most of my money back, and then also end up with like a rare and a mythic at the end a lot of the time. The cards you would get out of these events were upgrading at a ridiculous rate. Mm -hmm. um, and all they did is really just like shifted that down quite a bit for the for the lower win counts here. So if that's the only place that they took these rewards away uh, from us to give us the fifth copy solution, um, I think we did really well as players overall. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how many people do reward wizards with, uh, with their dollars, because I think we have, now that this is out of the way, you know, I, I really think we have a very stable economy, a positive experience for free to play players and paying players alike. Um, and, you know, once we get real people drafting, I, I can't think of anything else that would make me like want to say that this game is complete and ready for the prime time. I mean, it already is, but it's, you know, we're like 99% of the way there, I think, with this patch. Yeah, drafting with real people is the last thing I'm waiting for. And like the icing on top of that cake would be, hey, it's phantom drafting with real people and it's easy to sustain with a 70% win rate. I'd be like, okay, let's party. Let's party. Yeah, one step at a time, though, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby steps. This is a good step. This is a good this step. This is a good step. The The other change that really interests me, which is kind of funny that it comes now, um, is the, uh, and we talked about this a lot, is the ranked constructed ladder. It looks mm -hmm. like they're doing a, a adding a best of three ladder. So me, I got to put my money where my mouth is. And I said that I would play this if they had it. I would play it over best of one. And I do plan on doing that. Two problems with that. <laughs> one uh, it doesn't start till the end of the month it doesn't start to the next preseason uh so there's a little bit of of distance there to go the second problem is is i'm running into the free-to-play player problem of a new set coming out and i jumped into the the queues today with uh with my sets from the or with my decks from the previous uh iteration of standard and holy I need to do some tweaking and some tuning, and I probably don't have the cards or the wild cards to do that. So I'm finally feeling the pinch of a free-to-play player here where I'm out of wild cards because I wanted to play the last standard, and I've got a long way to go to maybe build these decks, and I'm not really sure how long it's going to take me or, or what I'm going to play when I get there. So um, I'm very tempted to drop the dollars in just to kind of bridge that gap, but I'm also very interested to see continue the experience as a free-to-play player um, and to see how long it takes me to do that. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with that. You know, I suspect that there will be some deck that is not just using the new cards that's still viable to get started. Like, again, I, I've watched new sets be added to standard over years and years and years. Like, it, it's rare that a deck just dies. It's usual that some old decks incorporate some new cards and then when you have a set with Ravnica that's so focused on the color pairs, like it would be unusual if a new one didn't pop up. Like it's quite possible that Golgari midrange could transform into Jun midrange now that there's a land for it and some good cards and all of those colors. But I, I bet you could still play something like Golgari in a best of three and still have game and then slowly add some new cards to it as you go. That's what I'm curious to see. Um, the hardest part, I think, are the lands, right? Is you're looking yeah. at, that's four rare wild cards to get your lands if you're turning any deck into a three-color deck now. So um, probably more than that if there's check lands that can go in that deck as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm curious. I'm going to wait for some deck lists to come out. I'm going to see if I can 
uh, you know, sneak on some people that are playing standard on on stream tonight after after the podcast is done. I'm going to see if there's uh, anything that tickles my fancy. But I was looking at my wild card reserves, and after I bought those history banalias and banalish marshals, and I loved mono white for a while, I'm like, those those reserves are pretty depleted. But I mean, it's all good. Uh, you know, the new set is fun. Uh, looking forward. I'll probably do a lot of draft and sealed coming up. Um, and with the, the pre-release event this weekend, which I'm going to, um, I'm going to get that free draft code and we're going to, we're going to party like it's uh, 2019, I guess. Yeah. That sounds like a good way to party. It now, does. did they say if best of three is replacing best of one or will there be both? You know, I'm not sure that they clarified that, but I do remember reading a comment somewhere. I just can't find it now. Um, that it is an addition to the best of ones. So it sounds like there is best of one and best of three for constructed. Uh, yeah. And, and they're, they're different ladders, but both ladders. Yeah. They don't have the details on what the ladder looks like for the best of three. Um, I imagine it will be a slightly different system because, uh, and they, and they've said that there are updates to the progression system for advancing ranks here in the, in the next update at the end of the season. So no details on that yet. Um, but yeah, it looks like we have two ladders. Okay. I'll be interested to see how that plays out. And if one of them is just way more popular than the other, like what the rewards are, like it, it would feel weird to grind two constructed ladders when it's not for different formats. Like I could see one that maybe happens after, you know, a set has rotated out and they're like, eh, it's, it's basically the, the, the equivalent of wild from hearthstone, but it, it's going to feel weird if there's both of them there. I'll, I'll be interested to see how this plays out. Well, I think I think partially they're doing it is is probably to figure out is best of three popular. Yeah. Right. And there's there's the whole backlash about well, best of one is in a is in a competitive event, you know. And we talked about this. You mentioned that you know it's just different. It's just not standard. It's best of one standard, which is inherently different than best of three. It might not be much different, but it is different. Um, so I think it'd be interesting. I think it's an experiment for them to see if it's popular. And I think if people put, you know, if people walk to it and stand in line and play it um you know then they'll keep it around but if it if their numbers show that yeah people are still playing best of ones then i think that's good night for best of three for us yeah be probably correct there um so if you're listening and you like best of three i fully encourage you to go there and play those when they come out on january 31st now the last change i want to talk about and this one is is it's a small change but i think it'll have the largest impact for for somebody like you and me um, and anybody that takes drafting seriously is they have changed how the the best of one ranked draft matchmaking works. Essentially, they have removed MMR. And nah, let's not say essentially. Let's actually tell the truth. They have they have removed MMR. Have they? Because from mm -hmm. what I've heard, they would look at rank first and then MMR. Nope. It's win loss and then rank. Win loss and then rank only. And then rank and then rank only. So. Yes, and, and from what I understand, unless it has changed since the announcement, is that MMR is gone entirely. Hallelujah. Yes. Praise Raptor Jesus. Yes. Um, so what what this means is that, so, and I don't know how it, how extreme it was, but the general consensus around MMR was that it was trending people toward a 50% uh, win rate. And the reason was is because as you got better, as your MMR, your matchmaking rating went up as you won you'd be placed against other players that were in that same range when it came to MMR. Um, meaning that 
you know, if if there were two of the best players would eventually play each other at the end or at the top of the ladder, and they would always play against each other. And it was interesting because you would see that amongst the Mythic Limited players um, where uh, Ethan from Lords of Limited hit Mythic and he said he was playing against Huey Jensen like three games out of five or, or five games out of nine or something like that, right? Um, and, you know, when, when, you, when you pit somebody that's not a pro against somebody that's a pro, obviously, you know, your win rates, his win rates going to, going to come down. But even if you pit pro against pro, those if those pros are both great players, they're both going to expect to win fifty to fifty five percent of the time instead of a higher number that they were that were they were achieving to get there. Yeah. Um, MMR is fine for ladders and things like that that I think are free to play, but I think that the major problem was and the problem that I had with it was when you were paying to enter event an event, you were not playing on the same playing field as everyone else that was paying to play that event. Um, and, and it was almost like everybody was playing in their own separate event. Um, and, and that's not what I was looking for, right? When I sit down at a draft, you know, I want to flex my skill. I'm paying the dollars to play the game and there's a prize on the line and I want to flex that skill and everybody should have to put that risk on the line. It Um, just felt like you were getting punished for getting better. And that's absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent. Okay. Putting new players with new players. Um, but I think that there was kind of a, a time where, you know, you've played five or 10 drafts and you know how it works that you should be thrown in with everybody else. And this would also potentially punish people that would get a bad pool, like a bad draft. And that's just how the bots broke for them, maybe, um, because they would still end up against people that were in their skill wheelhouse that probably had significantly better drafts than them because they were better players. So now with the focus being on win loss record first and then rank, it kind of solves both of those problems. So win loss means that um, if I'm zero zero and you're zero zero, there's a chance we will play against each other. Um, and then obviously, like it'll expand that search as it as the the amount of time goes by. So I might play against an O one or a one one player or something like that. Um, but now it's more based off of player skill and also deck strength in a way. So like if I have a nutty deck and I'm a good player, I'm going to probably end up against 5-0 and 6-0 players eventually if I'm also 5-0 or 6-0, which is what I want. I want I want to be playing against If I if I have a great deck and I did a great and I have a great draft and I'm a great player, yes, by all means I want to play against those good players and those good decks, but I don't want to play against those every single game because my record all the should time dictate, no matter what. Yeah. All the time no matter what because my record should dictate where I am just like any tournament. And then on top of that, the next piece is the rank, which means that if I'm gold three, I'm going to play against somebody with a similar rank that is also around gold, which is perfect because we're trying to climb the ladder and we're competing, you know, against each other in that in that same wheelhouse. So bronze and silver players will play against themselves. The gold black hole, which is probably 80% of players, will all play <laughs> against each other. And then as you go up that ladder, you're still playing these like relevant games, but you're not restricted to just mythic or you're not restricted to just platinum or diamond or whatever, like it's going to look at record and then give you kind of a wider search on that one. So I think, I think this is an overall positive change um, for everybody involved, except maybe the very beginner and then like the people that never win games. I think those are the the two groups of people that this will hurt. Um, But I think those people are a very small, small, small percentage. Um, And I don't think MMR was helping them get better anyway. I want to see how this plays out. I mean, we're going to see. It's happening now. I mean, you're not you're not quick drafting yet, but we'll see, I guess, in two weeks when we get the quick draft of the new format. We're going to see how it works. 
Yeah, very interested to see how this works. I think that comes along with the rank reset too. So um, everybody will be moving down in ranks and then we'll get to almost start fresh for a lot of us because you haven't hit Mythic in, in Limited, right? No, I almost got to Diamond with Ixalan and now I'm kind of just not super interested in pursuing it because the new set's out in traditional draft uh, tomorrow and I'd rather just do that. Yeah, I don't know the exact date that it ends. I think it ends on the 31st. So you might not even get an opportunity to do ranked draft with this until the next season. So that might be a good place to start it. I'm going to do best of three and sealed until then. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that too, personally. And play some constructed. Like if Show's going to end up doing another one of his tournaments, I'd like to participate in that. So that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, the rest is just like bug fixes and of course the 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 new event. So overall, I think a very positive patch um, and state of the beta announcement. I'm I'm thrilled with the changes, and I'm very happy that they are listening to players' concerns, but they're not necessarily listening to the outrage and the mob madness, which I like. Yeah, yeah. So this I, is a reasonable level response. I would say so. Like this all seems like good news to me, and it looks like Arena's going in a great direction, and I'm having a blast playing it and streaming it every day. So. Like, I'm, I'm streaming something like nine hours of Arena every day on the weekdays. And I almost logged in last night um, just to play for fun. Like, I ended, I ended up not because we, we were rewatching Game of Thrones, obviously. If, if you started yesterday and watch an episode every night for the weekdays, you'll be caught up by the time the premiere's out. That's important to know. But we decided to do one extra one, and so I didn't. But I, I thought about logging in and playing more just because it was so fun. Gods, we were young then. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's all I have to say about the state of the beta, except Wizards, Watsi, you're doing a great job. And, you know, Chris Clay, if you're listening, we'll get you on the podcast or something. But good update. Good on you. And uh, I hope you listened to the episode that said... Like that was our, that was partially our idea. I want to take a, a very small amount of credit for that, but I don't. I don't think that's the case. Cool. Huh. I give you credit, Dave. Thank you. Um. So I think we're gonna save our first impressions of the cards in the format. I think for next week, uh, after you've had a chance to draft it a bit and mm-hmm. let the cards settle in. Like I've only played three seals. I mean, you've played like twelve, but um. You had a a concept, and this came from the from the set reviews and talking to some people in your chat, I believe. But you have a a concept you want to apply, maybe to to set reviews, and you had a good theory that we're going to talk about here today. I I did, and we are. Uh, and this started with uh, a stream viewer, Paul, actually made a spreadsheet. Uh, if you come into my stream and type exclamation point ratings, you will get a link to this spreadsheet, where he took all of the cards from the most recent set. And he put in the ratings that Noxious, me, Ethan, Ben Wern, Marshall, LSV, and the Channel Fireball written review gave to each of these cards. So you can come in here and see a wide range of players ranking these cards. And we noticed for the most part, because today while while I was streaming, the, the system went down for a little bit to launch the update, and we had about an hour and a half of time. So I started going through this list and looking at cards that we disagreed about, and I, f- I found something very interesting um, out. And I'm going to share that with you in a moment. But first, we need to make sure you understand a, a concept that's a little old in Magic, but one that's certainly worth being aware of. And those are basically the three types of Magic players. Uh, Dave, would you care to enlighten us about these 
three uh, psychological profiles for Magic players? Yeah, for sure. So the article that we found, um, I'm I'm not sure if it goes back further than this, but there's an article, I believe, from 2002 that Mark Rosewater wrote about their internal player archetypes. And there was Timmy, uh, Timmy, Tammy, uh, Johnny, Jenny, and Spike. And what, what these were is these were uh, kind of these fictional archetypes for the three different types of players that they designed cards for, that they were designing the game for. Um, and, and these were all related to how people play the game not necessarily like you know there's there's other archetypes uh, or player uh, psychological profiles for like vorthos for one that enjoys the story for example but these were all people uh types of people that played the game so timmy tammy is uh best described as a player that likes to win big um so we're talking players that like to you know play giant 12 12 tramplers and and run their opponent over or go voltron on a creature and run their opponent over um the key takeaway from this one is that impressive cards, big flashy cards are, are kind of Timmy Tammy cards, um, big spells, big finishers, spells that are very hard to cast, perhaps. Um, and, you know, if if Timmy wins three games out of ten, but wins those three games in spectacular fashion, that then Timmy Tammy kind of walk away happy with that one. That's, that's generally speaking the archetype there. Uh, Johnny Jenny is more of a combo player. Uh, so if they're looking for like cool synergies or cool combos, maybe like EDH or something like that. Um, they might win one out of 10 games, but if they got to, if their deck got to go off, like quote unquote, go off, um, then they usually walk away really happy. So um, th- those are the kind of the ways that you satisfy those two players. And then Johnny is- and Jenny draft storm every single time in powered cube. And they go through and you watch them just draw 500 cards and do nothing and lose. But if they pull it off once, they look so happy. It's true. I wouldn't call Izarok and Ling Johnnies. I would have 100% called them Johnnies. That is exactly (laughs) what they are. They win a lot more than Johnnies do. Yeah, they do. They're like a... a, 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 And and you can be a blend. They're a Johnny with a touch of Spike, right? Or a Spike with a touch of Johnny. Spike with a touch of Johnny. Would would actually be more realistic. But that's that's absolutely what those gentlemen are doing. Is a a Johnny's touch? Is that the new spell for the next (laughs) God, I hope not. It'll be terrible. (laughs) No, it'll be like like two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It gains flying and lifelink till end of turn. That sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Um, and then you have your spike. So the general focus of a spike is to win. And they're not looking for flashy ways to win. They're not looking for, for combo ways to win unless those are the best ways to win. So they might be playing Splinter Twin in Modern before it was banned because it was just the best way to play. Um, you know, they they draft all the efficient, powerful cards. Um, and they, they have a different outlook on winning and losing, I would say. Um, I would say in general, spikes don't like to lose, um, especially if it was within their control. If the game was theirs to lose or theirs to win, um, that will keep them up at night. I know it keeps me up at night sometimes when I when I punt a game away. Um, so, so those are the different profiles, and you can see how they can all play the same game but have very different goals. And I really appreciate that Wizards kind of designs their game to fit all three of these. And a card that a spike is interested in is a card or sorry, a card that a Timmy Tammy's interested in is not necessarily a card that a spike is interested in. So when it comes to constructed, they play very different games. Um, but also when it comes to limited, they can play very different games as well. 
Yeah, and I I think it was when I started thinking about these archetypes and looking at these grades from different reviewers and people who play limited in different ways, I realized we actually need three more archetypes, and that's what we're going to talk about next. Although I'll mention that these three archetypes are subdivisions of spikes. These are all three people who want to win and are actively looking to win the game. Most people who are doing set reviews care a lot about limited and want to see a high win rate and want to be good at this. So you can absolutely go draft like, you know, a Johnny and see if you can pull off the cool combo once in your three rounds at, at F&M, right? And that's fine. And if that's fun for you, have a good time. And you can definitely draft like a, a Timmy and first pick that Gigantosaurus and see what happens. Like you can make that happen. But under Spike, I would like to propose three new archetypes, and that would be Mark, Andy, and Debbie. Mark, which I think exemplifies me and my style of play, is a mid-range player. So Mark is most interested, like the most important thing for, for Mark is that his cards, as much, in so much as is possible, are good on the turn he plays them or later in the game. So like a, a card that I got very excited about uh, from the most recent set um, was the, the green 2-2 with Adapt for 6. Like that card looks absolutely fantastic to me, and I think that it's wonderful, the Sauriform Hybrid. So on turn 2, it's a 2-2. On turn six, if I've played it and it's done its thing, it gets even better. And if I draw it later in the game, I can make it bigger, like I've basically built my own Colossal Dreadmall. So for me as a mid-range player, I get excited about a card like that. I also got really excited about Golgari Findbroker from the previous set. It was black, black, green, green for a 3-4 return target uh, permanent from your graveyard to your hand. Like I could generate a lot of value from that, and it was a particularly relevant body. So Mark mid-range players are, are really not looking for cards that, that have much variance built within them. They're trying to draft a consistent deck. Um, they can kind of take on all comers. Would you say you identify as a Mark? I would say so too. Um, I'm looking for value out of my cards. You know, I like removal, which I think fits into that mid-range strat mid strategy as well. Um, you know, a, a deck that can flip between control and being the beat down quite easily sometimes. Um, I, I think that's my preferred style. Agree. And I, I do think that all limited decks to an extent are variations on this mid-range theme. But I, I began to notice this again as we went through this set review that I was valuing some cards differently from, say, LSV and Ben and Ethan and Marshall and, and Noxious. Um, so... That's kind of what Mark is about. Andy is all about aggro. So Andy definitely wants to be playing the most aggressive cards that he possibly can be. And this is where you would get into situations where people would be saying, first pick Healer's Hawk in the last set. Because Andy loves Healer's Hawk. He looks at that and says, I'm going to play this turn one. I'm either going to put an enchantment on it or mentor on it. And then if you can't deal with it, I'm going to kill you. And like I bump into this most often when I interact with Ryan Sachs, who is a fantastic limited player. He writes for Star City Games. He pops in the channel now and then. Uh, he's usually in Ethan's channel when Ethan is streaming or Ben's channel when Ben is streaming. And he's always advocating for very aggressive strategies. And like I look at Healer's Hawk and I, I would begrudgingly play this in a Boros deck 
because I knew that it was good in that deck, but it wasn't the strategy that I preferred. So there, there, it was very rare that I was going to first pick a healer's hog. Whereas Ryan, or Andy, if you will, would actively be excited to take healer's hogs early. Because if he can end up with four of them, and then a bunch of two drops with mentors or some, some auras to put on them, he's going to be happy about that. So we've got Mark looking for mid-range, Andy looking for aggro, and Debbie is looking to Dirtle. And the best example of some strong Debbie Dirtle play was actually from the end of my stream yesterday. I was up against the streamer, I'm not quite sure how to say this, Sfatch, I think it is, S-H-V-J-Z. Okay, so at, at the end of that game, he is using a junk trawler equipped with a streaming uh, screaming shield. And what's the, the enchantment that untaps things from the new set? High alert. High alert. And he's using <laughs> no. that to mill me out and untap it um, while attacking with a 6-6. Six, six. And when I killed him, I had one card left in my library. And it was funny. It was the end of my stream and the end of his stream. Neither of us realized that I had won until the damage clicked through. Uh, somebody actually linked me to a highlight of the, the other view of that from his side, and we had both miscounted. But man, did that guy have an engine. He also cost the seven drop that shuffles libraries into their graveyards. Like, he was going off. So what Debbie is most interested in doing uh, is is finding a, a card or a group of cards that will generate incremental value over time and then just abusing that and kind of grinding you to death with a particular engine. So I, I think... Like, for, from my perspective, um, Marshall and LSV are kind of down to dirtle. So when you listen to a limited resources set review, often you're getting it from the, the perspective of a Debbie. Whereas I think that Dave and I are a little bit more on that Mark mid-range area. And so when you, when you listen to a set review from us, I'm going to be thinking about things like, how good is this card if I play it on the turn I can? How good is this two-drop if I top-deck it later? Like, some people will look at a two-drop and say, who cares, it's a two-drop. But if I can put a two-drop in my deck that's going to be relevant on turn six, I'm very excited about that. Whereas the Dirtle player may just be like, yeah, I'll fill it with whatever two-drops I can. I need an enchantment that doesn't do anything in my deck. I'm desperate for that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of teasing gently, but that's because I'll try to avoid those enchantments, whereas they're happy for them. And I don't think we have anybody doing big reviews now, or at least that I've bumped into, that's really far on that aggro spectrum. But I can sort of, I, I can definitely see that perspective when Ryan comes into chat. Uh, because it, it, you can even take it as we looked at uh, Triple M and Cat. What are your memories as a, a drafter of a Triple M and Cat? Oh, exert. Okay, Is what... That that was on crop crasher running me mm -hmm. over. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's what I remember. Not blocking anything. Can you tell me what the best common you can remember from from that set was? Was there a two drop in white? The um, Gustwalker is that what it was? Gustwalker. Yeah, Gustwalker. Right. Exert plus mm -hmm. one plus one flying. Yep. Interesting. That's a two drop that's good on turn two and still relevant later in the game. How about that? How about that? If I were to ask Tommy what the best common is, do you know what he would say? Uh, Gift of Paradise? Was that in the set? That was, and he enjoyed it. But the best common, and I'm not joking, and he will tell you that this is true if you go ask him now, was Dune Beetle. 
Oh, that's right. The one four because it blocked everything. Yep. And if you ask Ryan Sachs what was the best common in M and Cat, what would he tell you? That I don't know. Slither Blade. Oh, sli- right. I remember that. Uh, was it him that was that? Somebody was advocating for Slither Blade and enchantments around the Pro Tour. Yeah, yeah. And it actually worked at the Pro Tour for Christian Calcano. So, like, I, I think that perspective from M and Cat can tell you a lot because none of us were wrong. Tommy won a million drafts drafting Gifts of Paradise and Dune Beetle and just dirtling away. Dave and I won a million drafts valuing Gus Walker and attacking for two, and then when we couldn't anymore, attacking for three. And Ryan won a ton of drafts by picking up Slither Blades and putting auras or equipments on them and just attacking for unblockable damage before anybody could do anything about it. So like that format, because it's so old and because I know all of these people, I can tell you that all of those strategies were valid. But like for me, I thought Slither Blade and Dune Beetle were awful. I didn't want them in my deck. Now, both of them would agree that Gus Walker was pretty good and they'd draft that deck, but they weren't looking to. That wasn't what they wanted to do when they sat down, right? And I did draft some dirtily decks in Ammon Cat. And yeah, I'll admit, I tried the Slither Blades out. And there were times where it was pretty good. But my my happiest place to be was in that mid-range area. So I think it's important as you're you're getting ready to dive into a new set. And you're probably listening to a set review. I'd guess you listen to ours. Um, if you've got a lot of time, I think you should probably listen to the Lords of Limited and the Limited Resources one as well. Um, and if you know any other good ones, like link, link them to me on Twitter. I would love to find somebody that's an Andy that's actively doing set reviews and advocating for aggressive strategies. But as you're listening to those, consider the source and where it's coming from. And then also consider what your play style is, right? Because if, if you're listening to a set review from somebody who wants to dirtle and you're an aggro player, it's going to feel off and you're going to feel like, but I think this card is good and they're saying it's not. It may just be that it doesn't actually match your archetype. Uh, and it's okay to have your own thoughts and it's okay to have your own opinions. So like take all of this stuff in as you're listening to people say things like, you know, Susan said this card is great and Billy said it's terrible. I don't actually know which it is. You're going to have to play with it some. But then think about like what you know about Susan and Billy. Does Susan really like attacking with one drops and Billy just wants to draw cards? That's probably f- flavoring what they're saying about these these new cards from the new set. Yeah, and, and I think the thing to keep in mind here, too, is when you're going through all of these, we're not talking about every card that's going to be different. We're talking yeah. like, it's like a handful of cards that are different. And they're, they're cards that are wild, like evaluations that are wildly different. You know, like, you know, like maybe like a card like High Alert, like we mentioned, which is, you know, makes all your uh, creatures attack with toughness instead of power, you know, to you and me... That might be a difficult card to sell uh, because it's a do-nothing enchantment sometimes. Um, but to somebody that that knows how to break that strategy or thinks that they can pick up a bunch of those dirtily wall-type creatures, um, you know, that goes way up in value for them. Um, but we're not talking about, like, removal, like Mortify, where it's the difference between, well, do you think it's a it's a 4.5 out of 5 or do you think it's a 4.25 out of 5? Or, like, it, it's not cards like that. It's really just fundamental strategies and looking for those five or six or seven cards that fit into that specific strategy you know really good example of that that i can think of was lich's mastery from dominaria that's a card that i wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole but i respect the people that drafted it and figured out how to break it in limited and have a really good success rate with it and first picked it anytime it came up even though it probably came around on the wheel every single time you're talking Um, about ethan here right i am talking about he did some amazing things with that deck like it was it was gross but like i would look at it and i would 
think to myself, like, I, I didn't know enough about how to play that deck or about how to draft that deck that I wasn't willing to take the risk and go in on that, which is why I would just give it a, a like an F for me. Yeah. Because the, because the F stands for fun and I don't want to have any fun. That's right. Um, so, so I could respect that. And, and it makes so much sense when you put it that way is like, you know, I'm going through, you know, somebody linked a written set review. I don't remember who wrote it and I'm looking through and I'm like, some of these things just don't jive with what I'm thinking. Like I would never play this card or, or I want to play this card. Um, and then I, and then now that you've, you've mentioned this kind of thought process, it, it makes a lot of sense is they're playing a different game than I am. We're playing by the same rules, but we're playing with different kind of preconceptions of how we want to play these games and you know everybody has their way that they want to draft you know some people like to draft colors and some people like to draft what's open so it's interesting to me that that it took me this long to to realize this and i thank you for bringing this up yeah and i i I think that this is probably a useful tool going forward to be like you know this is a debbie card this is an andy card and it's not that someone's wrong if they have that other perspective and I do think, honestly, that it's it's worthwhile if you can recognize what your archetype is to go f- and and like it, 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 honestly, it's worth the five bucks or ten bucks or whatever it is it's going to cost you to draft to go force yourself to draft like you're another archetype. If you're a mid range player, go draft an aggro deck and see how it works. If you're an aggro player, go draft a dirtle deck. Like just go, just make yourself do it. Pick those cards that you're hearing. You know, Ethan say, man, this card's amazing. Just go draft all the Sailor of Memes in Ixalan, for example, and then play everything and just experience that so that, like, you can see the other side and open yourself up to more of this. Because, like, if if you're truly a Spike and you see a good aggro deck going around, you need to jump on that, even if that's not what you want to be doing. And if you see the cards going by for a broken Dirtle deck, but you really just want to be attacking with two ones, you should, like, if, if your goal is really to win, you need to be able to master all of these. Yeah, jack of all trades. Yeah, and master, and master of all of them too, yeah. Master of all of them, exactly. Okay. Well, that was awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. We got a little bit of time left, so I want to do a fun little feature here that I didn't I didn't say that I wanted to do, but we're going to do it. Okay, I'm ready. I, w- I want to do the Guild Mage power rankings for Ravnica Allegiance. Okay. Okay, so these are, in order, the top five of five Guild Mages as men from Moto have, have decreed them. How do you want to start this? You want to go top down or, or bottom up? I want to go top down. And I wish I could look at all of them at once in some fashion, but I kind of can't see them all side by side. Okay. Which one do you have at the top of the list? Like for, for me as my number one pick for best guild mage? Yes. Uh, Azorius. That's the yes. Senate guild mage, right? Yes, absolutely. So Senate guild mage, the, the blue and a white with the gain life and the draw card, discard a card for ridiculously cheap. Mm-hmm. I think this will be the number one for the entire format. Um, I think this is like so far above the rest that it'll never come down. And Ozorius is a great guild to draft. So it has like a double whammy there. So I used my Senate Guild Mage in a match today. My opponent had the six mana three three first strike that gives all my creatures minus one minus zero. That's an amazing card. And they had the enchantment that gives all of my creatures minus one, minus one, all of their creatures plus two, plus two, and lets them exile cards from my graveyard to make two, two flyers. Had it not been for the Senate Guild Mage, 
I would not have been able to dig through my deck to find a Mortify to blow up the enchantment and then enough flyers to overwhelm them from 38 life, which is where they were when I started this. I had three lands left in my deck and they were on the bottom because I had scried them to bottom with my Senate Falcons when I finally won that game. And I would not have done it without the card draw power from this, this Senate Guild Mage. Like, what I have found in this format is that, generally speaking, most decks don't have anything to do with 7 mana. That's not new and limited. You just don't really need the lands after that. And the ability to cash them in for more cards is absolutely ridiculous and makes this the number one guild mage by a mile. With with a bullet. I wish that I had had a chance to play it, but I've seen it played... Uh, against me quite a bit and just like i said the fact that azorius is great like you're not hamstringing yourself if you take a senate guild mage pick one pack one you're like sweet i get to play azorius i love flying over yeah agree All what right. is number two? Oh, so number two i think i think i want to go with the gruel guild mage but i think it's close between the gruel guild mage and the uh rakdos guild mage Ooh, disagree, disagree. You I disagree? think Simic okay. is significantly better than the Colt Guild Mage. Uh, so let's talk about that. Okay. So, I think I think Gruul and Simic could be close together, sure. uh, and then it's pretty clearly Rakdos and Orzov after that. I think I have Orzov at the bottom for sure. So let's talk yeah, about why is. Orzov is at Orzov is at the bottom, and that's not to say that it's bad. That's just to say that its two abilities don't do anything. Well, they do something. They just don't really do enough. Yeah, so the tap down of a four power creature is not always relevant, like gain two life is, or like discard a card, draw a card is. And the the second ability, the 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 it's not a drain; it's just deal two damage to your opponent, um, is very expensive, mm-hmm. right? So like when you want to be casting spells, but you also want to be draining your opponent, it, it doesn't really work. So I think that's solidly on the bottom. Well, it, its abilities are ones that are a the first one is situational. And B, the the second one is so expensive that you would really only do this if you don't have anything else to do with your mana. Mm-hmm. That's not bad, and I'm always playing the Syndicate Guildmage in my Orzov decks. I just, I'm, I'm not picking it as highly as the other ones. I'm not going into Orzov for this, but I'll play it if I'm in Orzov. Whereas if I open a Cynic Guildmage, like we're having a discussion and I'm probably taking it. Absolutely. So I have the Clan Guildmage's number two, um, even though I haven't played with it. I have. Uh, and- and the reason being is because I think the target creature can't block is cheap enough, and it's proactive, which is exactly what Gruul wants to do, and it plays really well with your big creatures because it removes double blocks. And mm-hmm. I think you put all of that together, and I think that makes this a solid number two rank out of the five. I, I, I Again, I'm not quite sure if this is better than the Simic one. I have played with both so far, and they both performed very well in their decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue too much. Although I'll say I'm not quite sure whether the Clan Guild Mage is actively better than the Combine Guild Mage, but I am sure the Combine Guild Mage is better than the Cult Guild Mage. So okay. let's let's argue over these two. Sure. Did you find that the Combine Guild Mage was too expensive on its first ability, or wh- which ability are you playing this for? Are you playing this for the plus one plus one counter on your creature, or are you playing this for the move a plus one plus one counter? I'm playing it for the put a counter on my creature and threatening to move a counter. Mm-hmm. I I never actually moved any counters with it, but the fact that I could meant my opponents really couldn't block my stuff, which led to, to me being able to cast something with an extra bit of extra mana and put a counter on it. So now they can't block that next turn, and then they were dead. Mm-hmm. I found it kind of slow, and I think that's why I had it lower on the power ranking. 
Um, but I really liked the moving a plus one, plus one counter and the threat of activation. It actually won me a game specifically uh, because I was able to move a plus one, plus one counter to a flyer. So um, I can respect that. I think it's like, I think the next tier above the Orzhov Guild Mage is all probably clumped up and they'll move around as the format goes. Um, but well, uh, I'm willing to be wrong about this one. I just found that second ability to be basically the same as the clan guild mage's first ability, except I didn't have to tap the guild mage or spend any mana. Like, it was basically making something not block because I could move a counter. Now, I, I was in a good situation where I had a bunch of counters laying around, right? And if, if you don't have them, you're not going to have that. So it, it takes a little bit more setup than the clan mage to be good, so I can respect that. But the setup that it's asking for is basically to do what your color pair does. Yeah, this one doesn't, like, it's unfortunate that none of them curve out, really, except I guess the Cult Guild Mage does, and that's why I had it a little higher on my power rankings, is because it's feasible to play this on turn two and activate it on turn three and get some kind of tangible benefit out of it, whereas the Combine Guild Mage you're never activating on turn three, yeah. um, and same with the, the Gruul Guild Mage. You're, you're not usually activating it on turn three. Uh, sometimes turn four, if you have nothing else to do, you can make a land, um, but you can't do that on turn three. Yeah, but that, that's why I like the cult guild mage, and the reason I had the cult guild mage a little bit higher is because of where it fits into the spectacle theme of of the Rakdos guild, um, and it is a low risk enabler for your good um, spectacle cards. the The problem is here is that often your spectacle is just getting slightly cheaper, and you're not really getting that much of a discount if you're using the cult guild mage to to activate or to get the benefit off of that. Uh, where it really comes into play is with your spike juggler and then the the five two for three if you're if you're spectacling that in i think you're getting a, a pretty good benefit off of that as well i would agree with that and the one damage per turn can gives you a little bit of reach like it's super slow reach but if your opponent's at three and you play a cold guild mage, guild mage it now must be answered I, I i have not played with this card i have played against it and that's what i was scared of the four mana tap it and discard a card was almost like, you know, if you want to skip your turn to have me discard a card, I'm kind of okay with that because you're, you're taking a blocker off the table. You're not attacking me. You're not pressuring me. So like, I, I almost felt like the discard wasn't really doing much. Um, and that may just be because there wasn't really time to use it, but I felt like the spectacle was you're basically casting it for its non-spectacle cost and dealing a point of damage to me more or less when you use this so like i really felt like the cult guild mage while it can do that and that's not bad that it was mainly there as a two drop that can provide a little bit of extra reach and threaten to make me discard cards but like once that's on the table i can just hold an extra land or you know i guess toss you know the worst card that's in my hand but you spent four mana and tapped a creature so like I still think i i think i actually like the ranking if we go senate clan combine cult and uh, and then Orzov, pretty pretty syndicate, pretty far down the list for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think you're ever activating the first ability on the Cult Guild Mage. Yeah, right. Your opponent sees it coming. They just they just sandbag a land. So okay, that's good. I'm I'm curious to see how it changes throughout the format as we see how fast the format is. It's much slower than I thought it would be. I'm willing to take the the loss on that one for sure. Um, I, I think yeah, I think just looking at the cards, I didn't interpret it like spectacle is just not as fast as I thought it would be. So I, I thought it was going to be slow. So like I'm tempted to be, you know, yeah, 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 I'm right. But we just don't know until we draft mm -hmm. like there. 
one thing that that I know for sure about Amonkhet, which is actually something I liked about the format, was it, it it was aggressive in draft, and it was super slow in sealed, and it was bizarre how the same set could could change that way. But it, it was a synergy set. You needed a preponderance of good two drops in order to be aggressive, and it may be that that's what Rakdos is missing, and we just haven't seen that yet. I'm excited to find out over the next few days as we begin to draft if you're able to put together that very aggressive. Rakdos deck that everybody's scared of, or if it's actually just kind of a grindy component, uh, which is which is kind of what I'm expecting. And then Gruul is the true aggro deck. Gruul is the aggro deck. Gruul is terrifying and a ton of fun. Like, I think that's actually... You know what? All of these guilds are fun to play, except I haven't played Rakdos yet. But the four that I've played, they've all been really fun. Again, I think it, it goes back to that, like it's really easy to do what you want to do in the four guilds that aren't Rakdos in yeah. sealed. Like you don't, you don't need any kind of synergy. You get random synergy and it, it makes your Simic cards better. For example, if you have a, a Biomancer or whatever it is. Um, but Rakdos just seems like it's difficult to, to pull together in sealed. So looking forward to see how it does in draft for sure. Yeah. I'm ready to draft, man. Let's draft. Let's draft. Let's go. Pre-release this weekend. I can't wait. Um, remember if you're going to your pre-release this weekend, you do get a uh, draft code. So keep your token that has the draft code on them and go online and get that free, free value. You know, us, I like, I like free value. Free value is great. It is. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there though. So thanks for listening. Travis, where can they catch you streaming this week? You can find me at twitch.tv slash Simulan. I'm also on Twitter as at Simulan. And I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at menformoto. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast, uh, aside from just listening, and we love our listeners, uh, but you can check us out at patreon.com slash menformoto. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Aloha.